Hello, welcome to our Leadership Foundation piece on stigma and false belief systems. Thanks for coming back. Uh, this unit was designed to help you understand what creates stigma and inside mental health and address some responsibilities that you now have for minimizing stigma in the workplace. Uh, we're going to talk about how our perspective shapes our interpretation and uh, discuss the impact of the factors that influence our beliefs. We're going to talk about mental health, mental illness, uh, stigma. We're going to challenge some assumptions around mental health and uh, do this with bringing out positive change. And we're going to stand some terms that are related to cognitive distortions. We're going to start at the beginning. Uh, we all come into this deal with an open mind. In fact, up until about age seven, uh, we have no critical thinking skills. And children believe everything that the grown-ups around them say. Uh, and grown-ups often share these views without any real care for the little ears around them. Uh, you know, this is particularly true when uh, grown-ups are talking in the front seat and kids are in the back seat of cars. That's the, a lot of that happens. And this is also where viral viewpoints like misogyny and uh, bigotry can show up uh, early, early on. And then they are, in fact, accepted as facts. Uh, we encourage you also to take, as part of the childhood journey, Take an adverse childhood experience test. We'll uh, provide a link for you to that. It's really important to, to consider your, your effectiveness as a leader can really be influenced by uh, your own childhood experiences. And uh, in addition to holding false beliefs or stigmatizing behaviors, you may actually have some relationship and personal damage that you're not even aware of. So we encourage you to take that test and uh, discuss the, the results with your mental health professional who, of course, already knows you and of course you're seeing them while you're in the yellow right and we're going to talk about uh, checking our beliefs because we want to be ensure we want to ensure that we're really aware of our own biases uh, when we're, we're engaging other people and we really can't assume that people were raised the same way that we were you know the the some western beliefs that we have about conduct are, are you know, just that western not, not all cultures shake hands um, not all cultures uh, touch each other. Um, you know, so there's some distinctions for gender in some uh, some cultures, or which hand you're being touched with. Some of that stuff, you know, that can become really important. Um, even that notion of strong eye contact, you know, the firm handshake and the steely look in the eye, that can be seen as really disrespectful, depending on where, where people come from. So you need to be aware of that. Not change what you're doing, but just you know, know that that other people were raised differently than we. And, you know, and some of our belief systems that that have been in our heads for a long time are are simply wrong. You know, like it, it's the, the belief that do we think mentally ill people are dangerous? And the truth is that they're not. Now, if people were violent people and then become mentally ill, you should expect them to stay violent. But the the truth is that uh, mentally ill people are way more likely to be killed or injured by others than they are to act out in a violent manner. Uh, Another thing that we used to hear a lot of was that, that mental illness, it, it tends to affect people of weak character. And that's just simply not true at all. You know, it, it can affect anybody anytime. Uh, in fact, the hard drivingest A-types that you know, they're actually more likely to, to suffer a burnout or to experience uh, different types of depression. So let's do some real definitions here. And these definitions come from the Mental Health Commission. So how do we define mental health? Is a state of well-being in which every individual realizes their own potential, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work effectively and fruitfully, and are able to make a contribution to their community.
That's good stuff. Here's a note to that too. Access to safe community is actually the key to wellness and uh, isolation is indeed depression's best friend. Uh, we it, it, Isolated people are struggling with their stuff. So you got to try to bring them out if you can do it in a, in a wholesome, healthy way. Now, uh, mental illness. The definition is as follows. Mental illness is a recognized, medically diagnosable illness that results in the significant impairment of an individual's cognitive, affective, or rational abilities. Good stuff. Let's stick with that. Back to assumptions. You know, we, do we think that mentally ill people are, are often homeless? Well, no, that's not true. There's lots of mental health in the uh, mental health issues in the unhoused community, but they are found, that's found in all strata of society. In fact, uh, I, the term eccentric is reserved for wealthy people with mental health issues, and you know that's highly stigmatized all on its own. Um, another one is that uh, we think that mentally ill people have some kind of processing uh, defect or they're not very smart or they can't follow the story. And you just can't assume that because somebody may be having uh, communication issues that, that you're struggling with or they're experiencing their own reality is not smart. It's not true. And those folks are at least as likely to recognize deception and call you on it uh, as someone that you might think of as normal, whatever that is. So let's go back to the flawed belief piece because uh, this is something that, that we really need to get our heads around. You know, have you ever been on crutches for even a couple of days or a couple of weeks? You know, have, you, have you ever had your arm in a sling for a couple of days or a couple of weeks? Or been so sick with the flu that you just couldn't even get out of bed? We'll all say yes to that in one way or another. And yet, why do we think that we'll never experience periods of mental disability? You know, the statistics show you have a 50% chance of having a diagnosable, actionable mental health experience in your lifetime. And half of the people that, that have that or more uh, won't seek help for, for fear of being labeled. So, you know, going back to the, to the uh, temporary disability piece, you know, if, if you have ever been angry enough to put your hands on someone else, you have had a period of temporary mental disability. Think about that. I mean, we've all been there. So, where do we find the most stigma? We find the most stigma in mental health and sexuality. Spend a minute on sexuality because it's actually a roadmap to success for mental health. Uh, lower suicide rates among young people have been directly tied to communities that have progressive LGBT laws and attitudes. That's an important thing. And, you know, the only good thing about stigma is that stigma shifts. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really kind of funny. If you look at what was stigmatized, say, 200 years ago, um, if you are, were a person of mixed race, your opportunities were limited. If you were the child of unmarried parents, you had no future at all. You, and think about that. Being, being called a bastard isn't even a proper insult anymore. You know, and it does, just doesn't matter. And in terms of sexuality, I mean, homosexuality was codified as illegal in the previous century. So those were serious stigmatized things that we don't care about now. They just simply don't matter. Having said that, we now face an, an era of new stigma. So one of the areas that's becoming more stigmatized is uh, factory farming of meat and abattoirs and uh, how, how our foods are made. Um, smoking around children. Uh, if you're of my generation, you'll remember that you know it was really common for the grown-ups to be smoking in the car with the window rolled up, windows rolled up, all the kids inside, maybe one of them up in the back window deck bouncing around. 
seemed normal at the time and now you know people pull you over for that and beat you at the side of the road that's that's it's it's illegal and it should be um, that's one another one we we see is fur you know and, and unless it's in the very far north for 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 warmth people just don't wear fur anymore and ivory is another uh, thing that's stigmatized about the wearing and use of ivory so the plus side of of stigma is it actually shifts stuff that was stigmatized isn't new stuff is becoming stigmatized and where we want to look at this is we'll be where we need to be in terms of stigma when we look at mental health the same way we look at dental health so when you could say hey i'm seeing my shrink thursday at two o'clock i won't be in afterwards you could say that with the same confidence you say hey i'm getting a, a crown thursday morning i'll see you at two o'clock you can see how those two things might have a different reaction in a workplace, right? That's what we're working towards. So let's also, back to the sexuality piece, don't, let's don't assume that people are straight, including seniors. Uh, and, and the terms like wife, husband are not used solely by heterosexuals. And uh, you want to use the terms that they use, whatever they identify as, you use that. And use gender-neutral terms like partner, spouse, if you're not sure. And however they present it's respectful to accept them as the, the way they re they represent and they present and, and use those terms and don't support or laugh at any of the anti-lgbtq comments or jokes they're harmful they're offensive they're stigmatizing and uh you have to kind of confront your own prejudice and bias when this stuff you know and, and the more uncomfortable you are with confronting your own bias the more entrenched it probably is so you know you want to to move forward in our leadership role. I talked earlier about um, servant leadership, where you put others first and you put your needs second. And there's kind of, not two camps, but there's certainly two types. There's a light triad and the dark triad. The light triad folks, which we assume you to be, you always want the best for others. You don't want to see people be exploited and uh, you don't want to, you, you believe that people should have every opportunity to achieve their own ambitions and goals that's the light triad the dark triad are, are more manipulative and and uh, insincere um, to that we're all inclined to some false beliefs and those false beliefs we call cognitive distortions and they 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 affect our thinking and the important piece here is that the thinking that we have affects our feelings and our feelings drive our actions. So if you were to go for a cognitive behavioral therapy, which, you know, CBT is called, uh, that explores the flawed thinking piece, that's cognition, and it helps you identify healthier or more helpful, uh, good for you type choices, which which was the behavioral piece, so cognitive behavior. And, uh, it may be obvious to us when we see it in other people, but we're all experiencing flawed beliefs. Uh, one of the first ones that goes into our heads very young, I still see it all the time, is the just world fallacy. And the just world fallacy is that we're led to believe from an early age that good things happen to good people. And if bad things start happening to bad people, that makes sense. But if bad things start happening to evidently say good people, they must have had it coming. That's that's something that kind of weird, eh? And then you think that also that a supreme being is watching us, and that supreme being is watching us to reward good behaviors, and that can lead to stigmatized thinking and victim blaming. Um, here's a some victim blaming things that that will arise from that. 
Um, you know, a, a woman is not looking to be assaulted because of the way she chose to dress. She didn't ask for that. Um, I have a nice watch. My wife thought I needed it. I wear it. I'm not looking to get rolled when I wear a nice watch. A man in a nice suit in a nice car is not looking to be robbed. Okay, that is not the way that works. We also sometimes do this with, with uh, poverty uh, or homelessness, and uh, we see it a lot uh, in addiction. And I spend a lot of time around uh, people struggling with addiction, and here's what I found. Every one of them started out as somebody in extreme pain, and they were trying to manage their pain. That's where addiction always starts in my experience. Now, certainly you can become an addict by having a hobby get away from you, but in terms of the behavioral health part, it's almost always about some kind of pain. So, heavily stigmatized, you bet. One of the cognitive distortions that we see is something we call filtering, and that's when we take negative details and magnify them till we, we uh, filter out all the positive aspects of a situation. So, you know, you pick out one single unpleasant detail and you dwell on it until that becomes you know, your vision or your reality and all the rest is, becomes kind of distorted. We have something called polarized thinking, the black or white piece where we have to be perfect all the time or we think we're a failure or, and there doesn't seem to be any middle ground. Or the either or parts where, where you know, you, you need some gray. Most of us are at our best in the gray. You need the complexity of people to understand that, that gray is where we live. Um, and if your performance falls anything short of perfect, then you kind of see yourself as a failure. Uh, there, there's a, another one called overgeneralization, where we, we develop a general conclusion based on a single uh, incident or a small piece of evidence. So if something happens that's bad once, we expect that to happen over and over again. You know, we, we sometimes maybe see a single event as a never-ending pattern of, of our own defeat. Uh, one another one is called uh, is jumping to conclusions where. Uh, without saying so, we think we know how other people are feeling and, and we know why they're acting the way they do. In particular, we think we know uh, why they're feeling what they're feeling towards us. And uh, you make conclusions uh, uh, that are you know, generally negative and don't actually bother to check with the other people to see if what you're thinking is correct. Catastrophizing is uh, when we kind of expect disasters to strike and no, no matter what, this is, we, we, this is also called magnifying or minimizing. And, and so we hear about a problem and goes, oh, geez, what if that happens to me? Or, or uh, you know, we, we exaggerate the importance of an insignificant event um, and, and make it become uh, our problem or, or, or someone else's achievement. So um, the other piece is sometimes they can, you can inappropriately shrink the magnitude of something important until it, it appears tiny. Personalization is one we see a lot, and that's when people think that uh, what other people do or say has some kind of reaction to us. It's because of us that people are doing stuff, and uh, we compare ourselves to others. We, you know, see who's smarter or taller or better looking or more successful. That happens all the time, and um, we sometimes can see ourselves as the cause of some kind of negative outcome, and uh, invariably, it's something that we weren't responsible for. For. And this is very, uh, very, very common in the first responders community. Some of this is, is, um, is cultural, but uh, we can sometimes take outcomes personally, and uh, those, that particular distortion, can really amplify other issues. And uh, the the truth is, in almost all circumstances, the outcome would be the same whether that responder was there or not. It's a true thing, you know. Um, 
the trauma exposures that we receive in, in responses, they are actually accidents of time and space. They're accidents at time because it happened while you were at work, and they're accidents of space because it happened in your response zone. So if you, those things weren't happening, you wouldn't even know the event took place probably, and it wouldn't have anything to do with you. It's important to think about that. Um, another one is a control fallacy where uh, sometimes we feel like we're being externally controlled and we're you know victims of fate uh, or you you blame stuff on on other people's control over you like saying oh oh yeah I know my work's crappy but you know my boss made me do overtime like that's just flawed right and then there's a, the other fallacy of internal control where where we assume that we are responsible for the pain and happiness of others and it will go oh well geez why aren't you happy you know what did i do to make you not happy then we have that that fallacy of fairness that's also uh touches on the idea of of the just world where uh, we think we know what's fair and other people don't always agree with us on what's fair and we're convinced that life is fair so then we get, you know, you get your measuring ruler out about how much, how fair is everything, and how is it fair compared to what you think is fair. And what ends up happening is, is the people with the rulers get feeling badly all the time, and they feel totally disconnected from other people. And then we get into blaming, you know, where we we hold other people responsible for our pain, or you can go the other way in that, and you blame ourselves for for every little problem in their pain, you know. Um, we have the shoulds world where, you know, there's this group of, of rules. They're important rules. And this, these are rules that other people should behave by. And the people who break the rules, they make us angry. And we personally feel guilty when we break those rules. And, uh, you know, you, you might think you're motivating yourself with these, you know, these shoulds and shouldn'ts, but uh, it doesn't work. And the other piece of shoulds and shouldn'ts is musts and oughts. We must, we ought, we must, we ought. These also, you know, offend that sensibility. And, uh, Invariably, the emotional consequence of all of this is guilt, and no one is propelled to change by guilt. It doesn't do anything. All it makes us do is feel crappy. So, another piece we see is is emotional reasoning, where we think that what we think is true. We sorry, we feel it, right? We think it, we feel it. It's all the same thing to us, and and then that must be true. So, if we feel that we're stupid and boring, then we must be stupid and boring. It's not true. Uh, and then there's the change fallacy where we kind of expect uh, other people to change just to suit us. And we think we can do that or affect that change just by adding pressure to them or cajoling them into adjusting their behavior. And then we go into some labeling where you can generalize one or two qualities and uh, make a huge global judgment about something. And, uh, you know, you, you can also, inside of generalizing, get into some labeling and mislabeling. And, you know, instead of describing an error in a context, context that, that reflects the situation and the people, we, we will sometimes attach an unhealthy uh, label to our own selves. So you say, you know, I'm a loser, instead of saying, you know, oh, I, I kind of booted that task, I should work on that. You know, that that's unhealthy labeling. We, and then we sometimes do the same with others, right? We look at a, a person's behavior that's rubbing us the wrong way and attach... Rather than a healthier label saying, gee, that guy seems to be struggling. I wonder if I, wonder if I can help him here. We, we'll attach an unhealthy label saying, oh, he's a jerk. Well, that doesn't help anybody. Also, the mislabeling piece can, can uh, describe an event or, or with language that tends to be like amped up and colored and, and uh, loaded emotionally. So, you know, instead of 
you'll hear this sometimes where, where, you know, instead of saying that, oh, look, Sherry uh, drops her kids off at daycare on her way into work in the morning, you hear people say something like, oh, yeah, well, she just abandons her children to the care of strangers. <laughs> the same events going on, but those are two wildly different ways of approaching it. So, Another one that we, we see is, is the need to always be right. And, uh, you know, the, the proving that our opinions are correct and others are incorrect, that can be a really consuming thing because it's, it's unthinkable to be wrong. But uh, if you go to any length to, to demonstrate how right you are, it gets in the way of your relationships and uh, the feelings of others. And, and uh, the people who engage heavily in this cognitive distortion tend to cause a lot of damage to relationships around them and, and hurt the feelings of their, of their loved ones. And, one of the last ones is the heaven's reward fallacy, and this is where we expect our sacrifice to pay off in some kind of meaningful way uh, that, that we're owed somehow and, and feel bitter when that reward doesn't come our way. So we've gone through this piece just to, to remind you that the people who are having uh, behavioral health issues can also have amplified cognitive distortions. And uh, as a servant leader, we always try to validate feelings because they're real and they're genuine, but we supportively challenge the thinking that's getting in the way of, you know, personal and organizational health. So we ask you to lead by example. You know, we look at, and the, one of the ways you do that is you look at the behaviors that are acceptable. And sometimes you'll see stuff and you go, ah, geez, I don't know if I want to, I want to weigh in on this, but the reality is what you're accepting, you're endorsing. And that stuff will continue, whether you whether you step if you if you don't step up for sure, that stuff's going to continue. So if you're going to allow teasing and joking about sensitive stuff, or that can cause coworkers to to feel stigmatized and and they're going to withdraw. And when we encourage them to seek help, they sometimes won't because we have allowed a stigmatized environment to perpetuate. So as we wrap this thing up, let's, let's take another deeper role at uh, our, our role in advocacy and look at your, the policies in your organization, the SOGs, any sort of standing orders there and ask if there's a class system. By class system, I mean, um, you know, do people at different levels get treated differently with different job descriptions? Do someone with a, uh, does somebody who is coming back to work after a structural repair like a shoulder surgery or, or comes in a, wearing a cast, you know, does everybody pat their head, sign their cast and give them a cupcake and welcome them home? Great. What do they do when people are coming back from a behavioral health issue and they're trying to reintegrate into the workplace? That's a class system. Um, Take a look at if there's legacy rules in the organization that can affect wellness, um, and especially if those rules can't be explained by the current staff. Lots of times there'll be policies that might have been set 10 or 15 years ago that were just an edict made out of petulance that, uh, and, and vacation policies is one of the places we see a lot of this where you know people can't access the time off they need because of some rule that no one understands. It. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, are all returns to work treated the same? think about that and if someone is returning to work from a behavioral health issue are the supervisors and their co-workers briefed prior to the return of what to expect this is something that a very effective and well-run peer support team can really really make a difference on uh, we encourage you to to work in that direction organizationally as well and are we encouraging workers to use their benefits you know please use your benefits they're great and 
have a look at this though you know is there is there any shame felt in taking the vacations that that you're owed you know do sometimes people feel that they're compelled to come back to work early from vacation so as a leader you know the big question is are you doing everything you can to reduce stigma and are you doing everything you can to build a psychologically safe workplace well that's what we're working on here and that's what we're trying to build out so thanks for coming out